to another episode of White Code to the Round Table, a podcast where we explore the latest developments in healthcare and their impact on the future of medicine. I'm John McDonald, and I'm joined here today again with Mike Asbeck. What's going on, man? Hi, John. Good to see you. It's good to see you too. Well, I'm letting everybody know that in this episode, we're going to be discussing exciting and often overlooked world of non-clinical careers for, of course, our healthcare professionals with advances in technology and the changing landscape of healthcare, there are now more opportunities than ever for healthcare professionals to transition to non-clinical roles, such as healthcare administration, technology, and policy. So join us as we discuss the benefits of non-clinical careers and the skills and experience necessary to succeed. So tell me a little bit more about that intro, because I know you know the listeners may not really understand it, but the intro was excellent. So where did you come up with that intro, John? I didn't write it. Uh, AI wrote it for me. Interesting. Yeah. So have you heard about ChatGBT? I have, but please share it with the listeners because there may be some people that are not tech nerds like you. Okay. So if I spoke too quickly, you can Google this. It's chat, C-H-A-T, and G like gamma, P like pirate. T like Tom, if you go and check out ChatGPT, they will teach you how to utilize it. And I quickly wrote an intro by asking AI, hey, I want to write an episode based on AI in healthcare and educate other people in the healthcare space on how to make transitions, what skills they might need and certificates. And it just wrote this out for me. So it's really crazy where not only healthcare is going, but the world is going to change with AI. And if you've been on TikTok at all, Mike, you may have seen, or maybe it's just my For You page, but you may have seen a lot of different folks in different industries, healthcare, HR, marketing, uh, you name it. I've seen professionals discussing how this is going to change their work and it's exciting and it, it makes workflow a lot quicker, easier, ideas, creativity, everything. But there's always a sense of fear. At the end of it, it's always a little bit of, but I'm, but I'm scared uh, because I don't know what to expect. And this kind of feels like 1999, like Y2K is coming. And we're all just nervous because we don't know what binary code means. Uh, again, I'm probably going a little bit too far down in the tech nerdy space at this point, but I'm, I'm a little bit manic over this. So let, maybe let me give some background. So John and I earlier in the week were having discussions regarding what our next episode topic should be. And we originally were going to do a Q&A with our listeners. So for anyone that may have sent us questions, we'll get to them, we promise. But then there's been a lot of attention, a lot of news articles, a lot of, you know, just a lot of noise regarding this chat. GBT, is that how I say it? GBT? G-P-T. Okay. Gamma, Paul, Tom. Okay, G-P-T. Well, what are we on? What are the, what's the alpha new, what's the, uh, the military, 
um, alpha pneumonic. Oh, I don't, is. I don't remember. I try and I try and forget my military stuff. But okay, so GPT. So anyways, yes. okay, so Chat GPT. We were talking about it, and then realized that this would make a really great episode. So one of the reasons that John is so excited about this is this new chatbot came out, and from my understanding, and this is just I'm no expert. I'm not a tech guy, but this was built in 2021, inputted with lots and lots of data, an immense amount of data. And it's now been set loose to the world. And the idea behind this is the artificial intelligence within this has not received any new inputs since 2021. So over the past year, it continues to learn. And as it learns, it's adapting and learning new information, learning new algorithms, learning new ways to do things. Mm -hmm. So it really is a cool function. It's completely free to use online, correct? That's completely free to use. You just have to make an account. You can log with Google or, or create an account with, with email. So it's very low barrier of entry. Excellent. And, and really, it's a great opportunity with this coming out. And now I'm sure many articles that are on NPR and places like that where you may have seen them, it's a good opportunity for us to discuss what healthcare may do to our current jobs. It's certainly over the next probably 10 to 15 years going to completely radicalize the way that we approach our mm-hmm. jobs. But then also how healthcare may be completely disrupted. We saw this with, you know, offshore um, shifting of blue collar jobs. And I Mm -hmm. think in the next 10 to 30 years, you may see a complete revolution of white collar jobs where a lot of things that were currently done by humans Mm -hmm. is now going to be done by AI. So it may cause an immense amount of disruption in the white collar world, including healthcare. It's, It's interesting because it removes the barrier of knowledge. So any business model ever is built off of the idea that you have something that somebody else does not and they need it and they pay you for that. Um, So if the barrier is removed from education, uh, knowledge, even finances, uh, you're not going to have somebody who is in a rural uh, location in the middle of nowhere with, with limited resources or somebody in an urban setting um, in a large city or somebody completely I mean, somewhere in the middle, it levels the playing field for knowledge. And it only becomes if you can think it, you could probably make it happen. Uh, but we don't know as humans what that looks like. It's, it's in, a, it's scary in that way because it's mimicking human uh, cognition, uh, language patterns. So everything will change with this. So let's use an example. Cause when you're saying that, uh, you know, all the knowledge is no longer a, uh, not desirable, but a, a thing that's in short supply. So mm-hmm. let's use accounting as an example. Someone may go to school for four years or even get a master's or an advanced degree as an accountant. What percentage of an accountant's job do you think is inputting data that is the same thing over and over and is just basically clerical that could be automated. You know, probably a significant amount, right? Do you want me to get into my, my craziness <laughs> right now? Well, no, no, no. I'll slow you down because okay. there's plenty of time to go deep. Okay. But just to give an example to listeners, if you can take an accountant and 60% of what they do can be automated by an AI bot mm-hmm. that can figure out the patterns of how to input data, how to take unstructured data and insert it into the Excel sheets, mm-hmm. then that single accountant may be vastly more productive or AI may eventually get to the point where the accountant is not needed because mm-hmm. the AI can take all of the unstructured tax returns, all of mm-hmm. the gross receipts and actually input 
that information completely without any human assistance. So it really is just wild. The current technology is already just massive, but as mm-hmm. as with healthcare so often, it's slow to adopt. And I think finally we're starting to see this critical mass in healthcare investment where it's really going to start changing things quite quickly. But John, I know you're chomping at the bit. So let's start maybe by just giving an, an example of a definition of AI, because not everybody listening to this may know we're already using terms that may be losing people. So give me some terms or definitions for artificial intelligence. Okay, so we can base it off of, well, why don't we do this? I know that you did a little bit of work with Oracle, or a little bit of research. I want you to give your definition because I'm going to ask chat GPT what a good definition of AI is in application okay. healthcare. I love it. So while you're I was, talking, I'm going to do that. Perfect. Okay. So I did show research and what I found is a definition from Oracle, which is a, a leading software. I think it's software, but a, a leading tech company. And according to Oracle, AI in the simplest terms stands for artificial intelligence, referring to systems or machines that mimic human intelligence to perform tasks that can iteratively improve themselves based on the information they collect. So AI manifests in a number of forms, and a few examples include chatbots using AI to understand customer problems faster and provide more efficient answers. Intelligent assistants use AI to parse critical information from large free text data sets to improve scheduling. Recommendation engines can provide automated recommendations for TV shows based on users' viewing habits. And AI is much more about process and the capability for superpowered thinking and data analysis than it is about particular format or function. Although AI brings up images of high-functioning human-like robots taking over the world, it's not really intended to replace humans, but rather it's intended to significantly enhance human capability and contribution, making it a valuable business asset. So that's Oracle's definition of AI. John, how are you doing on your end with your AI? While you were explaining that complicated definition, people are probably going to have to review, go back, rewind 30 seconds or so. (laughs) I said, you know what? Let's summarize this. I said, explain AI to a fifth grader. So AI or artificial intelligence is a type of computer technology that is designed to mimic human intelligence. This means that AI systems can think and learn like people do, and they can perform tasks like recognizing patterns, making decisions, and solving problems. AI is used in many different ways, such as in self-driving cars, virtual assistants like Siri or Alexa. So that's a very basic understanding of how artificial is utilized. We teach it to think like us, utilizing the same processes. It kind of reminds me of in school, Did you were you taught to use something called a peripheral brain? I don't think so. Okay. So it's a, it's a term that we use a lot in pharmacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a notebook. We call it a peripheral brain. And it, it just has your basic, you know what? It's like a residency packet for physicians um, as they enter into a healthcare system. Okay. Your basic labs, just everything. Uh, workflow systems. And it's it reminds me of that if you had your own peripheral brain with you at all times, a task that you did maybe 10 years ago that you can't remember, you have to go back and look and remember like, okay, how did I do this? How was this successful? I can't remember what complications I had. Well, with artificial intelligence, you maintain that information. It's quickly accessible and it will give you the instructions immediately. So that's so fascinating because I'm real big on just medical education. Obviously, we've Mm -hmm. talked about in previous episodes, but also... I've done a lot of research on 
the retention of medical education. And mm. one of the fascinating things, especially as we're talking about different professions within medicine, whether it be physician, PA, NP, is your didactic training certainly matters. But at the same time, you lose that information so quickly. The you know memory is not perfect. A couple people have perfect memories, but it's very rare. So within two or three years outside of medical school or PA school, you've already lost about 50% of the didactic knowledge that you learned. So your point is just so, so impactful in the sense that imagine if you were able to retain every single piece of input that you received and then use that in your decision making. Your, mm-hmm. your ability to rationalize through problems or kind of work through problems would be incredible. Also, you, this is why we do continuing education. Uh, continuing ed's probably split up into a few different areas, I would imagine, a couple different areas. But... We don't retain everything, so we have to learn something new, new data, new science, but we also have to review simple uh, disease states like hypertension and diabetes. Even though the disease itself hasn't changed, uh, there's minor improvements we made, but that's where the limitation of AI currently is, Mike, is there are ethical issues and concerns and resistance to this type of change in the healthcare system. Uh, because of the unknown, first of all, and because there's so many limitations and caveats, uh, healthcare is a, is a little bit more difficult. Um, because if you think like the accounting, you just want to test out your products and you get to mess up, you get to try to break the systems. And we, we do that in many different areas. I mean, that's, you think even going to a trade school for a mechanic or a plumber, you're going to break stuff. They're going to teach you how to, you're going to strip threads. It's fine. Whatever, you know, you're learning. We can't do that in healthcare. We can't practice uh, on humans as, as we do in the rest of the world. So it's not going to be as easy to implement this. Uh, but we have plenty of opportunities to learn. There's even continuing education available. The AMA offers education on it. The uh, American Nurse Association does too. Uh, the Healthcare Information Management System Society. There's a range of opportunities to learn about this in your given profession. See what applications are already available. And today, I think we're just going to be talking about the overviews of health, of healthcare and how it's been utilized, uh, utilizing AI, and what potentials we see in the future. Yeah, sure. So I think that's a good segue. So one of the things we wanted to do within this episode, because neither of us are AI experts, but maybe AI enthusiasts, mm-hmm. is just talk about some of the areas where AI may change things or where AI may be implemented in healthcare. So we'll go maybe through a couple of them. And John, we can certainly talk about them as we go through them. Yeah, go back and forth. But one of the big areas is medical imaging analysis. Mm-hmm. So the thinking with this is if you think about what a radiologist does, you know, a radiologist may sit in a dark room for, you know, all day and read hundreds of images. And, you know, typically what they're looking for is patterns. You know, a radiologist is looking for anything that may be abnormal, a fracture, a tumor, or cells that look abnormal. Those are all things that can be built into an AI algorithm. Interestingly, maybe we'll have them on at some point, but my brother is actually doing PhD research work on machine deep learning for neuroimaging and things with, um, I think with cancer research, but Mm -hmm. I I don't, I don't know exactly what imaging he's doing, but the idea behind it is if you take normal scans and you input them and the AI, the machine learning has hundreds or even thousands of scans that show what normal anatomy looks like, 
then it's able to take those algorithms and then learn what abnormal is going to look like. So then you can, instead of having a radiologist do a read, you can have a computer system that will instantaneously identify if there's something abnormal. And we're seeing this in real time. This is not just hypothetical. There's now AI-driven prostate cancer treatment mapping. So there's a company out there that now just got approved and is moving forward. And the idea behind this is that someone with prostate cancer, they'll take imaging of the prostate and then use AI to identify the areas where cancer is located and then use that AI to plan out where to plant the prostate seeds, where to identify or um, target the radiation Mm -hmm. so that you can have an even higher level of precision compared to just using, you know, our eyeballs as humans. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts on that? Anything to add? But medical imaging is one of the areas. I think that's actually the hottest area right now. I agree. Uh, But the that's one of the largest barriers of entry or implementing AI in healthcare is it requires so much data. And that means you need space for storage. That means you need uh, quality data. You need a large patient population. You need lots of images. So in some of the research that I found there, in order to effectively use medical imaging in AI, you would need hundreds of thousands, if not millions of images of what you're looking at to determine um, and determine if, if it's going to work effectively. But in order to get those images, you have to convince healthcare administration, ethics boards. Um, I'm sure even IRBs would be involved in this. Um, uh, it's probably hasn't, it's probably been discussed, but we haven't heard a lot about that. Um, you have to convince people to give you that type of information to mine it. Uh, so I think that if we had open data across all of medicine, we would see this changing a lot. But as you and I both know, the hospital administration and the purveyors of the EHR systems will hold this proprietary data and languages close to the chest, make it difficult for integration and third-party access. And it, it does limit our abilities to develop AI in healthcare. Yeah. So here's another one that's interesting. And I, I have a good personal story with this one. So mm-hmm. drug discovery and development. Yeah, it's interesting. So this one, this one fascinates me. So there is a, a new antipsychotic that is working its way through the developmental pipeline. Mm-hmm. And it's a, called a TAR1 um, medication, but that's, mm-hmm. you know, a separate issue. But the cool thing about <laughs> it is it was actually developed through AI. So mm-hmm. what they did is they basically modeled out the, the um, I think it was either a mouse or a human. I forget the okay. details, but they modeled out the genome and then they ran hundreds of thousands of algorithms with different molecules and compounds to determine which compounds would have an antipsychotic effect. Mm. The ones that were run through the AI program that then did were identified as potentially having an antipsychotic effect were then flagged. They Mm -hmm. found ones that worked and then reverse engineered Mm -hmm. how that drug could be developed. So they found the expected therapeutic effect based on AI in using, you know, mouse models, and then Mm -hmm. were able to work their way backwards to actually develop and synthesize the molecule. So Uh, it's it's amazing because in drug development, what we learned in school, uh, when I was in school, was we predict what types of molecules will interact within the, the human system. And... We have good enough models currently that we can 
drive some of those potential models out and you retain the small amount that we can actually put into drug uh, studies or investigation. But we know that 90% of drugs that go through the development process never even make it to market. So because we know those models, we can understand by creating molecular structures, how it's going to interact with each part of the body uh, and find your potential symptoms, uh, uh, introducing new comorbidities, triggering things that you didn't realize you're going to trigger. It's going to be able to do all of this and at probably at a fraction of the time cost. And that's going to make accessibility to healthcare a lot better for folks who find it difficult to pay for it. Hello, America. Exactly. Imagine the cost of running a hundred different compounds Mm -hmm. through mice testing on dozens of mice or hundreds of mice. You're talking about thousands and thousands of hours of researchers time, um, potentially creating mice that maybe have knockout genes and and having Mm -hmm. to genetically engineer things that way. And instead, within just a few minutes, you could build a computer program, an AI algorithm that Mm -hmm. can run hundreds of thousands of compounds through testing. Mm -hmm. So you're right. Drug development is an incredibly laborious, time-consuming, and expensive mm-hmm. aspect of medicine. And AI may completely streamline that process, which in turn is going to allow faster drug development, but then also presumably will lower cost. If you have more drugs coming to market, they're coming to market at a cheaper rate. Hopefully, fingers crossed, mm-hmm. more competition will then have downward pressure on price points. So it's really exciting. And you know, on my end, I, I was able to witness this at least to some degree firsthand through through my clinical job, just the power of, of AI already in development with uh, with drugs. I, I think with the COVID vaccine, everybody was curious and, and uh, concerned about the mRNA type vaccines. And these types of vaccines are going to probably become more prevalent because of AI as well. Uh, genetic coding and sequencing we is a well understood model uh since what is the 70s with crick i don't i don't know how long it's been right but oh i don't know yeah it's been a while though something in crick i can't remember the other one so don't hate on me you dna nerds you're you're, you're talking about crispr technique no i'm talking about oh. crick the the oh, never mind then. the discoveries of dna crick. Uh, Got it. oh i thought i thought you meant like, crispr cuz crispr uh, are you familiar with thing. crispr i am yeah yeah okay never mind We'll We're talking have to about, talk about Chris for another right. th- time, but uh, yeah. So uh, <laughs> what was I even talking about? Here we Not go. CRISPR DNA sequencing. Uh, it's it's extremely um, precise uh, science. However, because we understand the genetic code and it's replicatable, and uh, it's probably one of the most studied. Uh, I would say the most groundbreaking studies this century is when we mapped the genome project. And this is going to work together with developing the vaccines as well. And if it's cheaper, we're going to be able to get more vaccines to places like third world countries or places that have low barrier of access, which we can talk about um, diversity inclusion at at some other point Mm -hmm. with AI. Mm -hmm. But that is another concern for ethics. Right. Absolutely. And I think with that, you kind of alluded to it a little bit, but I think genetics and then AI also offer the opportunity for personalized medicine. And mm-hmm. you're seeing this in oncology where more and more now, instead of just hitting the body with, you know, these, these potent chemotherapies that are essentially poison to the body, they're able to do genetic testing of the tumor. 
They're able mm-hmm. to do, you know, a really, really specified analysis of the patient, but then also the type of cancer, and then pick medications that are going to be specific to that genetic phenotype. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're seeing it oncology, but I think it's going to expand even beyond that. Within psychiatry, we do have some genetic testing. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, it's a little bit controversial because the genetic testing does not necessarily equate to better outcomes. Mm-hmm. But I think there's the opportunity to eventually get to the point where you can t- test someone and then know exactly which medications are going to be best for them. So following up on your genetic conversation, not only are we talking about oncology, Biologics, a huge boom in the last 15 years, and it's mimicking the the human biology and implementing new, I mean, we'll call it coding into human biology in order to handle mostly uh, immunocompromised or autoimmune type diseases. And this is just another representation of what that's going to look like uh, for us in the future. But I'll, is it okay if I list a few that yeah, aren't keep so- going deep because yeah. these there are opportunities at each of these levels to involve yourself in AI and whatever you're passionate about is what you're going to be successful in because uh, it, it it gives you curiosity and you want to learn a little bit deeper. So healthcare administrator, healthcare technologist, policymaker, data scientist, machine learning engineers, AI product managers, healthcare data analysts, I'm going to, I'm going to include a list on our show notes, uh, but all of these, these potential careers are folks who are in the healthcare profession can move directly into those roles and can utilize healthcare. Uh, and if, if you let me go a little bit even deeper into this, I'm going to include some resources in the show notes, the amount of education out there for individuals so focused in healthcare and in AI, you can get certified. Uh, There's non-certified courses. I mean, we're talking Stanford, MIT, Yale, Harvard, uh, among some others I'm going to include that you can learn this on your own at home with a computer. Uh, Mike, when when I started looking at this and I got super excited, I started thinking about copywriting. I started thinking about marketing, even just for the podcast. I thought about my own business, how I could build contracts, how I could create B2B agreements, or uh, it was very simple, broad, like I don't want to take my time to do simple things that I, and I don't want to pay a lawyer 500 bucks to write something for me. So I just started messing with it and I, you know, I started creating different documents that I was, I was impressed with. I just hope somebody else will be impressed with it. Um, but then I got a little bit deeper and I said, okay, I know, I know a little bit about coding basic. I took some HTML, um, and CSS cause I want to build my own web pages and realize that's a waste of time for me because <laughs> you have, you have WordPress and Squarespace and all these places. Uh, but I still have some of that information. And so there's this brought, there's this uh, coding language, uh, we'll call it a coding language. Uh, again, I'm not a, this is not my profession. So please be kind to me if you're listening to this. Uh, and if we get it wrong, come on the show. Please come on the show. We, we need experts to talk about this. Getting a little bit deeper with it. SQL. There is this programming language named SQL. And the, the, the goal of this uh, program is to look at databases pull out information and organize it correctly. So we all have 
a ton of information in in your practice uh holding that hpi you have to keep it uh for the life of the patient so it's required to keep this type of information you get to pull it out and organize it right well i don't know how to write sql i don't know how to write java um I'm, we're going to do another episode and going a little bit deeper for people who want to uh, dive in and start maybe doing some of the stuff themselves. But I don't know how to do all that coding. I asked AI, hey, can you write a SQL program for a to integrate with an EHR proprietary language built off of Java type script where we pull patients between the ages of 30 and 50 with diabetes and comorbidities of of cardiac uh, or myopathy and it created a whole code for me and i said i don't know what to do with this code it said it showed me what software to download and how to utilize it and plug that code in and how to connect it our jobs aren't going to go anywhere for a while you we are always developing humans have to carry this knowledge on we have to i keep feeding the beast of the robot if that's what we want to look at if that's how we want to look at it but i don't want anybody to be scared this should be an exciting thing i have to digress or i'm going to just go on a montage of ramblings about how excited i am about computers all right i'll save the listeners from that thank you so so let's talk a little bit i like that you said you know just this is not going to replace us so let's start mm-hmm. with that let's talk about that so what do you think AI does to healthcare, and we don't necessarily even have to put a timeline on it. So you don't mm-hmm. think that it's going to replace us. And I would tend to agree. I think there's always going to be a need for human augmentation. Mm-hmm. But what do you envision in terms of the disruption of AI within healthcare? Because I've got an idea, but I'll hear yours first. My my idea is that the the barrier of entry is going to be regulation first, and the government's very slow to do any of this, and they're not going to do it well. So it's going to be up to providers to push this, and we don't have time to do this. It it might take a long time to develop this type of trust in a system where we can trust. I mean, think about Tuskegee. Tuskegee is still having its impact in in, uh, minority populations who are a little bit more adverse to healthcare, uh, especially drug trials. It's not just going to be, oh, we have this new tool that's going to make everything better. You still have decades and decades of trauma and uh, uh, inclusion or exclusion criterias overwhelming the system. So it's not just, oh, this is a great idea. It's it's going to go through many different passages before it's going to come out on the other side smelling like roses. So, that, I mean, that's that's my hot take on when and, and how, but... I want to hear what you have to say because maybe we can build off of it. Yeah, I think my hot take is I want to focus on the low-hanging fruit. So I think the stuff that is achievable with even current levels of technology is clerical work within medicine, which is such a huge component of what we do. I mean, every single healthcare professional probably spends anywhere from a third to half of their time charting, doing prior authorizations, doing peer-to-peers calling up other providers, put, writing in orders, all of these things. So I, I anticipate that AI gets to the point where if I see a patient in psychiatry, I'll have AI running in the background. It's going to listen in on the entire visit. 
and then document everything, know where to put everything within the note. But then also potentially, if I tell the patient, I'm going to send a script for 50 milligrams of Zoloft to your pharmacy, what pharmacy would you like me to send that to? And then they tell Mm me, AI is going to capture that, Mm -hmm. automatically send the script, everything is going to be automated, which frees me up as a provider to have anywhere from 30 to 50% of my day then available to have more patient access, improve Mm -hmm. patient care. So I think that's an area that I see as low-hanging fruit. The other area that I think that we're already working on, so many health tech jobs are in this type of setting, Mm -hmm. is clinical decision-making. One of the things that we're trying to do at our job is we like to do what's called measurement-based care. So we like to use patient-reported scales because in psychiatry, we don't have vital signs. We don't have objective measures to look at. So very often, we're relying on these subjective self-reported scales from patients. And we're always arguing and trying to figure out what is the perfect collection of scales to give yourself a really broad snapshot of where the patient's at. I think what we can see in the very new future is patient wearables, so potentially their phone, their smartwatch, their pulse, their vital signs, but then also questionnaires that the patient may fill out are going to get to a point where AI is going to adapt the questionnaires to how the patient is doing. Yes. So in a perfect world, before I even see the patient, the patient fills out some level of questionnaire and the AI is able to sense based on the patient's responses, okay, do I need to ask more questions about depression? Nope, depression is not a concern today. I'm going to ask more questions about anxiety. Oh no, the patient has indicated that there's a new life stressor. I'm going to ask more questions about that. And that's going to allow me within my visit as a clinician to be hyper-focused on whatever the problem is at that time. I'm not going to have to spend the first 10 minutes of my visit fishing around trying to figure out why the patient is more depressed. Rather, AI is going to present me the problem and say, the patient is reporting increased depressive symptoms because this stressor is going on Mm -hmm. or because this change in physical activity has occurred. And that's going to allow me to be more solution-focused. So I think that's, in my opinion, the low-hanging fruit because the technology is already there. Mm-hmm. It's just healthcare is always a little bit slow to innovate. And I think a lot of it is regulatory, like you said. But that's the stuff that I think could be implemented tomorrow if we had the the funding and then the willingness. I So, but remember, it's not just regulation. It's also autonomy and informed consent of patients. It's HIPAA privacy. Uh, our patients have more autonomy than we give them credit for. Uh, They should be involved in the decision-making more often than we allow them to. With AI, they're going to have those resources to help make decisions. However, there are also the subset population who are not going to be accepting of any sort of automated, robotic, technological processes helping make decisions, listening to what's going on. they're not comfortable with it for whatever reason. Uh, it's up to them. And that's the great thing about the healthcare system in America is we don't force it upon people. And that's why we have the FDA processes. So where I where I agree with you, that is the low-hanging fruit. What I really think you mean is we just got over talking about clinical burnout and EHR systems documentation, clerical work is the number one reason why we we're having lower amounts of PCPs uh, deciding, or rather, uh, medical students deciding on general practice. Uh, we have low enrollments uh, across the the industry. Period, 
And then we're having, what did it go down to? Th- uh, 32% of, no, it was 38% of of our healthcare providers, physicians who feel like they have a good work-life balance or they're happy with their work. It's like, oh, that's where you're, we're dreaming. But the wet rag is is the fact it's going to be time and lots and lots of multi uh, or diverse uh, groups of individuals from different practices of life. And that will take a while. Yeah, I agree. So earlier you alluded to careers with AI. And, you know, such a huge part of the podcast has been trying to identify and shine a light on non-clinical career options. So tell me a little bit more or maybe share with our listeners the resources that you were able to identify for maybe someone that is looking to move into a role that is somewhat AI focused, whether that be in administration or health tech. But if someone has an interest in AI, they have an interest in tech but their formal training is clinical, as with so Mm -hmm. many of us. What are some of the resources out there? Okay, so I'll pick a couple that are we'll call low-hanging fruit, like you say. Uh, Healthcare consultant, we all all know colleagues of ours who've moved into that field, and it means different things to different industries, even within PAs. There are three locations that we can look at, just breaking it down quickly. Coursera. Mike, you've talked about Coursera. I love it. So Coursera, there is a specific course called Healthcare Strategy and Management Specialization. And at X, there's Healthcare Strategy. In Stanford University, there's Healthcare Strategy and Management. Now, those are overviews of leadership, um, of managing the healthcare system that goes into AI as an overview. But then if you want to get deeper, those those, uh, platforms, Coursera, X, and Stanford, they all can get uh, a wide range. So uh, if you wanted to get in technology as a, as a consultant and you wanted to be a healthcare technologist consultant, you could look up uh, at Coursera, healthcare innovation and entrepreneurship specialization. Uh, and then Stanford, there's uh, healthcare innovation and entrepreneurship. And those, again, have AI involved uh, education. But if you want a, a general overview, there's Coursera at X and Stanford. We've discussed Harvard University, MIT, there's a great one. So there's an there's a platform called the Open AI Scholars Program, and it's free online courses, and it's for AI, and it's followed by a paid internship opportunity at that program. Uh, and it's for anybody with a strong background in math and a passion for AI. So for a pharmacist, uh, I could dig back and look through all my PK uh, information and and brush up on that. And I could use that, but there's also a fellowship available. The data science for social good fellowship. That's another opportunity for any individual who wants to use data science to develop healthcare in AI. Uh, But there's many more fellowships out there just like this. So I'm going to try, I'm going to list all of these uh, on our show notes. So you can look for them yourself. If I can get links, I'll post links, but it's not hard to Google these. These are very, these are top performing programs that most people are aware of. And just to clarify with that, I think people that may be listening, if you have an interest in a non-clinical career and you have an interest in understanding AI, it does not mean that you have to learn how to code. It does not mean that you have to become a computer expert, correct? There's ample opportunities for clinicians to move into the AI space Mm -hmm but still be there because of their clinical expertise. 
it helps if you know how the language works. That's it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's almost like uh, it's like the Rosetta Stone. Uh, if you can understand the Rosetta Stone, you understand all of language. AI is the Rosetta Stone for knowledge uh, in human life. All right. Well, I think let's leave it there because it's really exciting. And I hope the show notes, as as always, whenever you get excited about a topic, the show notes become quite voluminous. So hopefully people that have access to the show notes will be able to really learn a lot, but have a lot of resources in case this is a career option that looks interesting to you. But John, let's shift over and talk about personal topics as we Uh, do every episode. We want to make sure we don't lose our humanity within healthcare. So what's going on with you? What is going on with me besides kids already getting stomach bugs? You know that there's a a delay in production for like amoxicillin and like ceftonir. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, Adderall is a big one right now. I know of that one. But yeah, so kids are getting sick and throwing up and that was was wonderful. Uh, But outside... Outside of that, I just got to spend time at my cabin. I'm usually hiking. I'm usually out and about cutting stuff down. And, you know, I just chilled this time. I put on Daniel Boone, uh, Audible. Beautiful. I got a knife and I took a stick and I whittled it. And I felt like a frontiersman. And I made bacon and scrambled eggs on a skillet. And I stoked a hot coal stove. So that made for a great weekend. Um, I hope I hope many more like this. At some point, I do promise mm-hmm. I'll get out there. Yeah, so, I keep inviting you, so it's not my fault. John invites me to the cabin probably once every three weeks, mm-hmm. and life is uh, busy for both of us, so it's never worked out. But I will get there at some point. That sounds lovely. Yeah, but what about you? I want to tell me something new. I don't know. Oh man! So we are you know in the throes of the Christmas season. And my wife and I made a deal with each other lately that we were no longer going to buy ourselves gifts or buy each other gifts, I should say. So rather we were going to yeah, focus we do that too. on, yeah, so it's just like, you know, it's hard to shop for each other and you never know what to get, yada, yada. We're li- no, we're just lazy. <laughs> so I've learned though, that this is actually a trap and maybe, you know, everyone that's married out there will say, of course it's a trap. You should have known this. But so my birthday was a couple weeks ago. And the deal was we weren't supposed to get each other gifts. And of course, she got me a gift. Yeah. So now I am in a panic because Mm -hmm. I know Christmas is coming up. The agreement was no gifts. And yet Mm -hmm. now I know the pressure is on because I have to find a good gift. It has to be thoughtful. Can't be too much money because we're supposed to agree to not get each other gifts. But it has to be something that is, uh, you know, good, well thought out. So I'm working on trying to, uh, to find good Christmas gifts. And we're what two weeks away from Christmas, so it's coming on me quickly. So I guess that's my light item of the of the day is when listeners hear this, send me ideas for Christmas gifts. Can Chat AI parent? That's really the question. Can they manage children? That's that would be the ultimate Christmas gift. Oh no, that's that's called uh, uh, what's that weird YouTube video that all the kids watch? That Coco Melon. Oh, that don't get is me started. Coco Melon. Yes. Yeah, we'll get on the psychology right. of Coco Melon next time. But Perfect. everybody, I appreciate you listening to us. Uh, maybe even more just me rambling about AI. But we hope that you got some benefit from it. I hope maybe got you motivated and excited to learn a little bit more about it. So you can uh, check out our page at whitecoatsoftheroundtable.com or find us over at patreon.com forward slash WCRT. Uh, you become a sponsor and you get some of our show notes and additional information and even some off script podcasts where Mike and I talk a little bit more 
informally about topics that we know and love and want to be behind a paywall. So Mike, great talking to you. And I think this is going to be a series. So whether you like it or not, uh, AI and I are taking over the world. Bye everyone. Love you. Oh. Thank you.